Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, The Table. In this series, we focus on the seat we all have access to at the Lord's table, as well as the community around us. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. So we're here this morning, and this is our last message at the table, man. I'm kind of sad to see it go. Uh, We've been having a lot of fun with this uh, particular series. I think we started uh, middle of March, and here we are uh, right toward the end of uh, June. Did I say December? No, the end of June. And uh, we've been talking about the table. And just to give you a brief summary of what the table is and where we got the thought, the thought is found in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is saying he's inviting everyone to come to the table. And he shared this story how uh, this wealthy man invited people to a banquet. In fact, in the book of Luke, you can almost eat your way through the Bible, man. He's, Jesus is eating a whole lot. You know, it's like, it's like food is, is God's love language. That's why I think I got saved. So anyway, there it is, Luke chapter 14. And, and Jesus is talking about a banquet. And in that banquet, he invites some people. And back then, the way you would do it, because, uh, you know, they didn't have refrigeration, they would give you a timeline, and they would say, around this week, if you would keep this week open, uh, we're going to have a banquet. And so they sent out the first invitation months ahead, telling the people there's going to be a banquet in that week. And then when the day finally came, and all these people had responded and said, yes, we're going to come, when the day finally came... The Bible said they went out and said, hey, the food is now ready, come. And the scripture said that each of them began to make an excuse. One of them said, well, I bought a yoke of oxen, and I can't come. I got I to gotta test them out, which is kind of lame. You don't buy oxen without testing them. You know, what were they, skinny oxen? How do you know what kind of oxen they were? So they were, it's a lame excuse. And then the other guy said, I married a wife. You know, that could be. That could be issues there. But anyway, I just married a wife. Another guy said, hey, I bought some property. I got to go see it. And the scripture says that each of them made excuses. And finally, the wealthy man said, hey, well, you know what? Since they won't come, invite, the, invite those that are lame. Invite the broken. And go to the highways and the byways and the hedges and invite them to come, which was really unusual for a rich man to invite people that were outcasts. And yet Jesus is painting a picture if that's the way God is, he invites those that nobody wants. And he invites them to the table. And how many can identify with that? He invites you and I to the table because that initial initiation went out to the Jewish people who then denied Christ. And Jesus said, now it goes to the Gentile. If you want to know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is simply someone that is not Jewish. And so he's extending that invitation to someone that is not Jewish, which is you and I. This is why we get to partake at the table. And so all of us this morning, we have a seat at his table and we're able to come. And really that is the essence of this message or this series is saying that God gives you a seat at the table and you are welcome to come to this table. Now, oftentimes what we begin to think is that is everybody really welcome to the table? And I'm here to tell you, yes. Because if we're not careful, we can misjudge people. Am I right? How many have misjudged people by their outward appearance? You thought something, you saw something, and you said, oh, this, and you assumed something about them, and then you found out that that's not actually the way things are. 
And I'll read you a story. There was a certain young woman who was really nervous about meeting her boyfriend's parents for the first time. And uh, she checked herself, uh, her appearance, you know, one last time to make sure everything was in order. And she noticed that her shoes look a little dingy. And so right before she stepped out the door, she grabbed a paper towel on the counter that she had used to blot out the bacon. And she used that to clean her shoes. When she arrived at the home, it was an impressive home. She was greeted by the parents and their much-beloved little poodle by the name of Cleo. But Cleo had a rotten temper, but it just just so happened when that dog got a whiff of that bacon grease on the woman's shoes, he began to follow this woman all over the place. By the evening, the parents remarked, they were really pleased, and said, Cleo, our poodle, she says, uh, has an excellent judgment of character. We are delighted to welcome you into our little family. Well, can I tell you, Cleo wasn't judging anyone's character. That boy was smelling some bacon. Let me just tell you that right now. Sometimes we're not judging people's character. We're smelling bacon. Can I tell you that today? And so God today, I want to show you a picture today where many times we misjudge the situation and we don't really have the right understanding of what's going on. And there's a story I'm going to read you here. Again, this is our last message here. And I'm calling it the uh, table of worship. The table of worship, or I'm calling it, this is where we worship at the table. And so in this particular story, I'm going to talk about two different characters, and they're very similar, but yet they're different. And the reason why they're similar is both of them are untouchable. One of them is righteous in his own eyes. He's so self-righteous, nobody can get near them. Another one is really unrighteous, so unrighteous and so unclean that she feels nobody can touch her. And Jesus begins to tell, or he go, he's invited to dinner, and this is what happens. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says this, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed him, or kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who, this, who it is that's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Your word is powerful. Your word is true. And God, it ministers in every facet of our lives. And God, today, help us to be open to the word. Remove every distraction God, we don't want even our cell phones and messages and pops up to get in the way right now. We want to hear from you. We want to open our and give you our 100% undivided attention. I pray for the anointing of your spirit as I declare your word, and the people would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And the people said, 
And so both of these characters that Jesus is with today or in the story are untouchable. And again, the, the religious guy is this Pharisee, and he basically is so self-righteous that no one can get near him. And then the Bible described this sinful woman who is considered so dirty that no one would get near her. But both of these people are sitting at the table with Jesus, or I should say the Pharisee is, and then this woman comes in uh, where they're at at the table, and they're both here at the table together, and yet only one of them uh, has an encounter with God. Yet they're both there. See, many times we come to the table, and we forget why we're there. We're there because Jesus invited you. And we forget who's there. Jesus is there. The most important person at the table is Jesus. And when you remember why he's there and who he is, it will cause you to worship. And this is exactly what this woman does. She comes into the room, and the first thing that she does is she worships him. Now, I want you to picture what's going on here because the Pharisee is the religious man. He, back then, they were so religious that, that, you know, they walked around with their nose up in the air, and they were so self-righteous and so full of themselves. How I many have met people like that? And, uh, you know, they basically didn't want anyone to get near them. And, and many times, they were the very ones that, that would question Jesus because they were always focused on the outside. They were focused on the external things. And if you didn't do all these different things on the outside, uh, that means that you weren't righteous. They had a certain way where they washed their hands and certain traditions that they made up, and this made you more holier than others. And so uh, they didn't like the fact that Jesus didn't do any of those things. In fact, Jesus many times called out their hypocrisy. Jesus called them hypocrites. And he exposed them, and, and Jesus reached out to the broken. Jesus reached out to those that were hurting. The, this religious man, this Pharisee, never did any of that. So Jesus is there, and this Pharisee is there, and it's probably not a very, uh, he probably didn't invite Jesus there for good motives. He might have invited Jesus there as many times before. If you read the gospel, they had the wrong motive. They, they wanted to trap Jesus. In, his, in questioning him. They were hoping that he would contradict himself. And so here they invite Jesus to dinner. And during this time while they're having dinner, this woman walks in. And she presumably is not invited, as we can tell. She shows up and she begins to cry and weep at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says that her tears wash his feet and she dries his feet with her hair, and she breaks an alabaster box or perfume and pours it on his feet. And really what that's, what's going on, it's an act of worship. Say worship. But the Pharisee is so disdain. He's on the other end, and he's looking, and he's, he's disgusted. He can't believe that Jesus, this man of God, would allow this woman to touch him. That would allow this woman, he's supposed to be a holy man, and she, he's allowing someone so dirty and so disgusting to touch him. And see, the Pharisee has the wrong heart. Can you say amen? He's got the wrong attitude. And so Jesus brings out something in the story as we go along that you're going to begin to discover that Jesus is always reaching out to those that are hurting. Now, the Bible describes her 
at the sinful woman in the city or sinful woman in town. It doesn't really tell us what her sin is. In fact, many commentators believe that she was a prostitute or a harlot because the way the scriptures describe her, it says a sinful woman. Other translations say an immoral woman. A woman that's a prostitute, many translations actually say that. So uh, many commentators agree that this woman must have been a prostitute because she's described as a woman of the city, but we don't know that 100%. I mean, she could have been the town drunk, right? She could have been the, the woman that was the town thief or the town gossip, right? She could have been one of those women, but we're going to presume that, in fact, that she was a prostitute and the fact that she had some money behind her because she had this alabaster perfume. And if you remember here, a couple of weeks ago, we read about another woman by the name of Mary who broke an alabaster box that, that was worth one year's wages. But in that story, the Bible says it was Mary that broke it over the head of Jesus just a few days before his burial. So she was preparing Jesus for his burial. This is not the same woman. This is a different woman who again had an alabaster box, an expensive perfume. And so many, many, many commentators said she must have been a high-priced prostitute, just to describe, to tell you that this woman, she had some money, but she realizes that she's broken, that she's in sin. And she finds out that Jesus is at the house of this Pharisee, she must have heard about him. She must have heard about his teaching. She must have heard who he was. And so she makes her way to this house. And, of course, the Pharisee is looking down at her. So my question is, how did that woman get into the house anyway? Why didn't one of the servants stop her? Maybe she was familiar with the house. Maybe one of the Pharisees were her customer. I don't know. It could be. I may be gossiping now. I don't know. But how did she even know where the table was? How did she even know? How come nobody stopped her? How come nobody said, oh, you can't come in? Apparently, she may have been familiar with the place. I don't know. But she made her way in, and she finally gets to the house or goes into the room where Jesus is at. And, of course, as we just read, she's weeping, she's crying, and she's washing the feet of Jesus with her tears. And the Bible says this religious man, this Pharisee, is totally disgusted by all that is going on. This woman apparently had a reputation, but what I want to bring out is this woman took a, an enormous risk. How did she know Jesus would accept her? How did she know that Jesus would receive her worship? I mean, she, this, she was living an immoral life. She's a sinful woman. This woman, in the eyes of the religious community, was dirty in her heart, and yet Jesus is allowing her to touch him. And he's responding, as we're going to read in the story, he responds to her. And here's the thing, she took this enormous risk. But I want to say to you a couple of things as we get into this story, is that this woman had a heart of worship like you and I should have. Number one, if you're taking notes, she worship boldly. In other words, she didn't care who was around her. She didn't care who was looking at her. See, I believe this is the proper way we ought to worship. You shouldn't care who's looking at you. 
She's crying. She's weeping. She's on her knees, uh, and she's just pouring out her heart. Uh, she doesn't care that everybody's at the table. She doesn't care who's looking at her. She's worshiping Jesus. We don't know her name. We, never, we don't know her age. We never, she never even says the word as you read the story. We never hear her speak. But I believe in that worship, she was saying a lot more than we could say verbally. And as she's worshiping Jesus there and at, at his feet crying, uh, she is doing it boldly. Well, uh, she doesn't care who's around. Uh, and I believe that is the key to you and I because, believe it or not, uh, if that woman was a prostitute, she could have been stoned. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, with stone, not get stoned. I'm talking about get, she could have been stoned with actual stones, right? And she could have been put to death. But in spite of that, she boldly was there worshiping. And here's here, here uh, a scripture that I want to reference because I think that's the proper way to worship. It's a theme then, look at the scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, theme then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who's this high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but within all points tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Let us therefore, it says what? Come boldly, say boldly, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the Bible's saying that Jesus can identify what's, what's going on in your life. He can identify with your weaknesses. Many times I hear people say, well, God don't understand what I'm going through. He doesn't understand what I'm feeling. Can I tell you something? He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's been through that. In fact, the Bible says uh, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, and you say, well, you know, God doesn't know all the temptation I'm going through. The Bible says he's been tempted in every area you have, yet he's without sin. Well, you have another excuse? Any other excuses besides that? Because uh, apparently Jesus has gone through it all, and that's why we can go to him in boldness uh, to receive what? Mercy and grace in time of need. Friend, he can give you the grace and the power that you need. So this woman must have heard that Jesus was there, but she went boldly, uh, and she wasn't rejected. Uh, all of these things that turned out uh, that Jesus responded to her. And the second thing I want you to notice is that she worshiped with a humble heart. She was humble. Say humble. Because she came to Jesus, and she's weeping, we see her posture. Her posture of that is she's, uh, she's on, she's basically kneeling where his feet are at. And so her posture is that of worship, of, hum, uh, of humbleness. She's being humble. She doesn't care. She's crying. She's weeping. All of these different things. This is, I believe, the spirit of real worship is when people are willing to humble themselves a little bit. Man, they, they don't care. They're willing to humble. You know, I watch some people sometimes. They won't even lift their hands. I mean, at least kind of lift them half mass. I mean, just kind of make, look like you're worshiping something, you know. They, I've, seen, I've watched people sometimes, they won't even sing. Come on, you can move those lips, man. Get, come on, move those lips. I see you singing all those other songs. Why don't you just say Jesus, say something. They're kind of looking at everybody like, come on, you could worship. You could do something. Humble yourself a little bit. See, this woman was willing to humble herself, and we see, actually what we're seeing is the heart of repentance. 
And later on, I'll show you why we're seeing that, because really, this woman, uh, she was sinful, but in her worship and in her humility, in her humbleness, she was uh, basically repenting before God, and she worshiped honestly. And what I, what I want you to think about is that she didn't care about her bad reputation. She was, she was being honest. God, here I am. This is, where, this is the condition of my life. And all I can offer you is, is this perfume. I, this is all I've got, God. I'm going to give it to you. This is all I got to give you. So she worshiped honestly before God and with a humble spirit and with a humble spirit and a humble heart. And I, I believe the fourth thing, if you want to write this down, is she worshiped extravagantly because she, this, this perfume was very expensive. How many of you know worship will cost you something? She was willing to give her best. That's the very best she had. And she poured it out before the feet of Jesus. And she, she poured it out on him, this, whole, this expensive perfume. She didn't care how much it cost. She didn't care how much she had to give up. She just wanted to be at his feet worshiping. And she gave up what she had. See, I've watched people come to God. I've watched them even uh, through the years of pastoring. I've watched people come, and, and they just give God what they have. I remember being at a service and watching people uh, throw things on the altar. I'm thinking, well, are those donations or what are those things? No, they were drugs. People were just throwing their drugs at the altar. And they're throwing all of their cigarettes. And I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, the worship team thought they were getting an offering. No, just drugs and, and, and cigarettes. That's it. But I remember having to get rid of them, making sure nobody knew what we were doing with them. Because everybody, you know, anyway, we make sure got rid of all the drugs. But what they were doing is they were surrendering. They were surrendering what they had, what they were bound to. I've watched people do that. And they just surrender things and say, you know, this is all I've got. I'm going to give it all up for God. I don't care. And, and I've watched them transform, and I've watched them change. See, the, one, the person that left transformed from that table that day wasn't the Pharisee, but it was that woman. And here's the extraordinary thing is that she worshiped God, despite her condition. See, many people think, well, I can't worship God because I'm too broken. I can't worship God because I'm too dirty. I can't worship God, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I'm such a sinner. I'm so lost. But yet the Bible says this woman didn't clean up her act first. She came in the condition already. Are you hearing me? It was after that, after that worship and that heart of repentance, then transformation came. See, I believe this morning as we get into worship, then transformation takes place. The Bible says this. Let me reference you this scripture, Romans chapter 12. So then, my friend, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. You know what a sacrifice is? In other words, you're, you're willing to die to yourself. It's a dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is true worship that you should offer. And they said, do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by complete change of mind, of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him and perfect. So as we offer ourselves as an act of worship, then transformation takes place. 
as this woman was humble enough, as she was bold enough, as she was honest enough, as she was extravagant enough, when she did that, she poured out her life in a confession of worship. Then she experienced the transforming power of God. Let me tell you, once you were lost, but now you've been found. Once you were blind, but now you can see. Something happens. I, I, I tell you, sometimes I, I, I'm looking at people, and they're missing an opportunity to worship God. They forget who's at the table. See, let me ask you a question. Why did you come here today? I pray that you came not to look at a good-looking guy, but, but to experience the power of God, experience the touch of God. To come this morning to say, you know what? I came that I could be transformed by God's power. I came to get a hold of the promises of God because you can't. And so let's look at the backstory in verse 39. So it says, so the woman, so the woman went through there and it said, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. So he's saying, if Jesus knew who she was, so he's not only disappointed in this woman and disgusted by the woman, he's disappointed in Jesus. Like Jesus, I can't believe you. You're supposed to be a man of God. You should know who this woman is. You should be a prophet. If you were a prophet, you would know. How many know he wasn't just a prophet, he was God himself. The Pharisee didn't realize who he was talking about. And so he's thinking, you know, uh, you know, he can't, he doesn't know what's going on. But let me just tell you something. God reads your mind. He knows exactly what you're thinking. And so he's making a judgment call on this woman. Now, let me just pause here a second because I believe sometimes when we talk about judging people, a lot of people get it wrong. How many know there's a lot of people out there, they don't even come to church, they've never, they've never read the Bible, but there's one scripture they do know. Don't judge. Don't judge. The Bible said don't judge. They don't even know where it's at. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, in case you guys don't know. Matthew 7, verse 1. And I usually say, yep, Matthew 7, verse 1. Let's read the rest of the scripture, though. Let's put it in content. Don't just read part of the scripture. Let's read it all complete so we can get the real meaning of what Jesus is saying. Because, man, you talk to me, they go, don't judge. Don't be judging me. Don't you? Honey, people are judging every day. Before you even got here, you made judgment calls. You were making sure when you came to that stop sign that the, you were judging whether that guy was going to go first or you're going to go second, right? You're judging whether that person is going to stop at the stoplight or not. You're, uh, you judge your kids all the time. You say, are you lying to me or are you telling me the truth? You're making a judgment call. You make a judgment call all the time, and you call for service over your phone, over something, and you want to make sure, uh, well, let me talk to your manager. Why? Because you're making a judgment call. You don't trust what that guy's telling you. Can I speak to your manager? Why do you need to talk to the manager for? He just told you you couldn't do it. No, 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 no. You don't trust that guy. You made a judgment call. Am I right? We're making judgment calls all the time. So let me just read you this scripture so give you a little bit of context uh, to what we're saying here. In Matthew 7, verse 1 verse uh, through 5, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. So that's where most people stop. But let's read the rest. For what, judge, for what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? In other words, you know, you can see the speck there, but you got a telephone pole in your own eye, it says. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank or the telephone pole from your eye. Then what? You will, be clear, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what the Bible is saying, when the pole is removed, then you can make a judgment call and see the speck over there. You hear what I'm saying? Now, what does it mean by not judging? What the Bible is talking about, not judging, is judging unfairly. Judging with condemnation. Are you listening to me? Judging with superficial, you're only looking on the outside. You don't know everything that's going on. You don't realize you're smelling bacon. Are you listening to me? You're there. You're making a misjudgment about the person. And so Jesus is talking about not wrongly judging people because many times we judge people wrongly. We condemn people. We, we look at, we're unforgiving. We're self-righteous. We're making ourselves better than them. That's the wrong kind of judgment. But see, I can make a judgment call on people. I, 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 can, I can make a judgment whether a person is a certain way. If he comes in reeking with alcohol and he says, hey, pastor, uh, you know, not like alcohol. No, he don't. No, he don't. Don't judge. That dude, that whole breath, everything. is. He's a guy that's been drinking. Guy comes with glassy eyes, red eyes. He's on drugs. Oh, no, he's not. Don't judge him. He's not on drugs. He's on drugs. You can tell. I'm not condemning him. Are you listening to me? I'm not putting him down. We're going to pray for him, but we're making a judgment call. We know what's going on. If you come in with a knife, I'm going to say, well, he's not going to do nothing with a knife. He's pointing the gun. He's not going to shoot. But you better make a judgment call quick. Are you hearing me? This guy's going to commit a crime. We want to stop that. So what I'm saying to you is the Scripture's talking about making a judgment when we're condemning someone, uh, when we're unforgiving in heart. That's why Jesus said when the beam is moved out of your eye, when that harsh judgment, when that self-righteousness is moved out of your eye, then you can clearly see within that person. Are you hearing me? And then your judgment is going to be different because it's going to be a judgment of compassion and grace and forgiveness. Are you hearing me? That's exactly what Jesus was trying to show this Pharisee. Because, see, I believe the, great, the best ministers, can, can I be honest with you? Everybody here, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. The minister is not just standing here. You're all supposed to be ministers too. You're supposed to be able to minister to people. The best effective ministers is when you see people walking down the aisle and you can see their brokenness and you can see what's going on in their life and you can look at them and you can say, you know what, you know, I could, I could relate to that person because thank God, uh, you know what, that used to be me. That could have been me. Well, let's just be honest. Sometimes that is me because it's not victory every second. Am I right? And the best ministers can relate to someone that's broken and say, you know, I know. See, as the pastor, I, I, I know where I came from, and I know where some of you came from. Can you say amen? You clean up pretty good. Let me just on, be honest with you. Clean up real good. But it's amazing. I can see some, a Christian here. You've been saved two years, and then somebody comes in exactly the way, and you're looking all disgusted, thinking two years ago, you were the same way, bro. You, you were busted and disgusted just like that person is. And you're making a judgment call on that guy? The way you're looking down rather than having a heart of compassion? Are you with me? Rather than having a heart of how can I help? See, the right kind of judgment is how can I help that person? 
what can I do? I know there's brokenness. I, I know there's all kinds of wounds there. We've made that judgment call. We know, but it's not a judgment call to condemn the person. Can you say amen? In fact, Jesus said this in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So this woman here, the Pharisee saw her as the sinner who deserved judgment. But Jesus saw her as the woman who needed forgiveness. How you view people makes the difference. What makes us more effective as ministers is that we don't look at people with a condescending way like we're better than them. That's the wrong attitude. And can I tell you something? People know, too, when you're looking down at them, when you think you're better than them, when you think they're lower than you are, you're going to lose your effectiveness as a minister. Your judgment is wrong. Are you listening to me? You are looking at people the wrong way. And, that, and Jesus knew exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. See, God knows what you're thinking. And so when this transpires, then Jesus says, oh, let me, let me share a story with you. Because now Jesus is saying, I'm going to call you out on something. Now look at what he says here in verse number 40 of Luke chapter 7. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved, loved him more after that? And Simon said, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And so what he's saying to him, and he goes on to say, but, but it says, that, therefore I tell you, uh, or, or, or I, he goes on to say, the scripture says that those that love little, uh, those that are forgiven little, love little. So here's what I want to tell you. That many times we look at things and we forget that we owe a debt and he forgave us. And some of us this morning, we had a big debt, larger than others. Am I right? But don't matter. We both couldn't pay. Whether your debt was more than mine or mine was more than yours, we both had a debt. We couldn't pay. Jesus paid the debt for us. You ought to be thankful that he forgave you. Am I right? And if it were possible to pile up and stack our sins, some of us would fill this room. Some of us could probably fill warehouses around Paramount, am I right, and some storage bins, right? I mean, we could pile them up. And maybe some of you can only fill this little room over here. But it doesn't matter whether you owe 50 coins or 500, you still owe the debt. And Jesus is saying, he that is forgiven a little loves little, but he that is forgiven a lot on the flip side loves a lot. There has to be a spirit and an attitude of gratitude. Can you say amen? And then he goes on in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss 
But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. So when he said, hey, you didn't wash my feet back then, they wore chanclas, right? They wore these sandals. And, and so they, they, their feet were dirty. And, and the first thing they would do when you came in, uh, hospitality, someone would wash your feet. He said, you didn't wash my feet. So they would greet you with a kiss and a hug. He said, you didn't even greet me with a kiss or a hug. This woman's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. So again, this Pharisee is counting on his own righteousness, but this woman is counting on the mercy of God. Because why? She recognizes her sin. She recognizes her brokenness. Many of us this morning, we don't get in the deep with God because we forget how broken we really are. See, which one are you? Are you this woman here or are you that religious Pharisee? Are you that guy that's thinking you're better than everybody else? See, I know where I came from. When I see people coming to this church, man, I know, you know what? That used to be me, that could be me, or that is me. I'm broken just like that. I need God's healing. Now, let me give you a picture of what actually is going on here because many times when we picture the table, we picture a table like this, and we put this table up here for dramatic effect so you can get the ideal, and you can leave here talking about the table. But the tables weren't done this way during that time. Tables were not, you didn't have an upright chair. You didn't have a table like this. This is not the way it was done. I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's the last day anyway. So the way it actually was... The tables were not made this way. That's not how people ate. They ate in a whole different uh, atmosphere, and it was, uh, um, I'm trying to pronounce this word. They call it trilinium, or trilinium, or tri, tri, oh, wow, triclinium, triclinium, is I believe it's how you say it. I had it down right, but now I forgot. So anyway, what it was is the way they made it is with it was like a U-shaped table. Why don't you go ahead and put a photo up there? And and do you guys have it? I hope so. Okay, so that's the way they ate. The Bible said that Jesus was reclining. If you read the scripture, and they had a little table, and the servant would come in the middle of this U-tape, and he would serve everybody. That's how he would do it. And you would look across to the other person, and you normally ate with your right hand, and you lean on your left. Sorry, left-hand people, you would have been... It would have been bad for you during that day. And so you ate with your right hand, and, and that's how they did it. This is how the day. Many people believe that's exactly the way the Last Supper was. You reclined at the table, not so much the way we see it today. And this is the way you ate, and people ate that way. They reclined, and then, man, it was, I mean, food was a, it, it was a long ordeal. It wasn't quick, you know, takeout food. They, it was a long thing where they conversated, they ate, they brought several dishes. I, I think I should have been born in that time. I think it would probably work for me. Where's the next dish, the entree, and everything else? But that's the way it worked. And it was really awesome. And so this woman came. That's why the Bible says that the woman came behind Jesus. She came behind Jesus because he was laying down, and he came from behind. The scripture literally says she came from behind. I often thought, how could she come from behind? I mean, did she come behind the seat? Or, you know, you would thought, you know, no. He was laying down that way, so she came behind the seat. And so the, the Pharisee watched this woman walk in and go behind his feet. And then, so go ahead and show the next picture. 
And do you have the next picture up there, hopefully? There it is. So Jesus is turned around now. He, you know, he said, oh, my goodness, this woman here is washing my feet. You can see the Pharisee right behind him. And he's looking at this woman who's there washing his feet. Now, I did that. Keep that picture up there. I kept that picture up there because I want to point out something in this picture. Because Jesus said something to the Pharisee, to Simon the Pharisee. He said, do you see this woman? If Simon would have been positioned the way you see it right there, the guy in the white beard, and Jesus is there, Jesus has his back towards Simon. He really can't see the woman, and Jesus is facing this woman who's the sinner. Isn't that something that Jesus will face the sinner but turn his back on pride and self-righteousness? He said, do you see this woman? No, I, he literally can't see her. He has to see Jesus before he sees the woman. See, the accuser, the devil will come. He'll accuse you of sin. Let me tell you something. The devil has to see Jesus before he sees you. Can you say amen? Jesus will put himself between you and the accuser. Jesus positioned himself between him and the accuser because the Bible says that God basically resists the proud. He resists those that are proud, but he gives grace to those that are humble. So Jesus is giving grace. He is responding to worship. He is responding to a heart of repentance, but he's turning his back on self-righteousness. He's turning his back on people that are hypocritical, that think they're all of that, and they think they got it all together. Jesus said, let me just turn my back on you. Your, your worship stinks. I don't want that. I, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for humility. I'm looking for someone that would humble themselves and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. See, oftentimes we look at this woman and we say, man, she was so bad. She was so broken. But can I tell you, that's you and me. Do you want to be that self-righteous judge? Or do you want to be the woman? I don't know about you, but I want to be the woman. I want to be her broken before God. I want to be worshiping at the feet of Jesus. I want to be the one that says, you know what? I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's around. See, if you're ever going to touch the heart of God, you're going to have to learn how to worship at the feet of Jesus. Because if you're going to sit and judge, you'll never get in touch with God. All you're going to see is his back. You'll never get the face of God. This woman got the face of God. She got God's attention. She got Jesus' attention. And you know what Jesus said to her? I love what Jesus says to her. He said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, how is it? that Jesus did this when we never hear her say a word. Jesus didn't hear her voice. He heard her heart. Can I tell you something? When we worship him at his feet, when we humble our, ourselves, God's not listening to your voice. He's listening to your heart. He sees your heart. He sees your soul. He sees your brokenness. And he responds to that. And he's able to tell this woman, your sins are forgiven. The person that left different from that table that day was not that religious man, that self-righteous man. It was the woman at the feet of the table. It was the woman at the feet of Jesus. See, if we always remember who sits at the table, if we always put him first this morning, then we'll find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. 
God's looking for you and I today. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. He's looking for you and I to be at his feet. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.